Real variety for your work day. This is season three of the Fat Doctor podcast and I'm your host, Dr. Asha Lamy. We're going to be talking all things related to weight stigma, fat phobia and fat activism over the next few weeks and months. I'll be joined by a host of regular guests as well as some experts across the fat activism sphere. So all you need to do now is sit down, relax and listen in. Once again, I've decided to click record and hope for the best. I I have a an idea of what I want to talk about, uh, and you just have to bear with me and hope that it works out. Over the next couple of weeks, I want to be talking a little bit more about Wegovy, that weight loss drug. I, I did a podcast episode about it a few weeks ago, and I thought I'd said everything I needed to say, but I didn't. <laughs> There's so much more to say, and so much more has happened um, since the last time I spoke about it. Um, as you all know by now, I think, I hope, uh, Wigovi is Novo Nordisk's latest weight loss drug. They actually have another one, Saxenda, that came before it. But uh, Wigovi is, I guess, the more effective, the more powerful one of the two. And uh, Saxenda is, is becoming a thing of the past as Wigovi takes over. Both manufactured by a drug company called Novo Nordisk. And there's now another drug on the market called Manjaro or Manjuro. I don't know because it's only available in the US. And that's by a drug company manufactured by a drug company called Eli Lilly. So there you go. Three weight loss drugs on the market at the moment, depending on where you live. Uh, if you live in the UK, then over the last few weeks, uh, Wegovi was finally approved by the National Institute for Clinical Excellence by NICE. Uh, and all the documents regarding the approval are up on their website. I have looked into it. I, I think the document is several hundred pages long. I haven't read the whole thing because, you know, I do have a bit of a life, but I have read quite a bit of it and was fascinated really by the approval process and just how unethical the whole thing is. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the ethics of weight loss drugs and whether we should be doing something about it, whether whether we should be acting on the unethical practices, which is um, actually relevant, uh, bearing in mind the last couple of weeks and the events that have unfolded. But I get away, get ahead of myself. Let me try and make some sense. Uh, let's start at the beginning. In 2021, I believe it was the 18th of March. I know that because that is my late mother's birthday. The 18th of March, 2021, Novo Nordisk released its first study. And I'd like to make it very clear that it is Novo Nordisk study. They paid for it. Uh, almost every single author that was part of the study was receiving funds from Novo Nordisk outside of the study um, for guest speaking, you know, lecturing, et cetera, et cetera. And the conflict of interest statement, I believe, for the study alone was something like two to three pages long. It's phenomenal, really phenomenal. Novo Nordis paid somebody to edit the paper and to produce the statistics for the paper. So uh, it's Novo Nordis paper. Of that, we can 
all agree. Even they didn't even try to hide it. It's all out there in black and white. So 18th of March 2021, they released this paper. It was called the Step One Trial, and it was um, basically looked at a big group of people. It was about 2,000 people, and some of them were on in the placebo group, and the others were in the treatment group. And they had to go on a 500 calorie deficit diet, which basically means whatever you're supposed to need energy wise or to ex, ex, um, the, the amount of energy that you require on a daily basis is calculated using a very effective calculator that involves body mass index. So we all know it's bullshit anyway, but uh, they calculate what it should be. Say it's 2,400 calories. They subtract 500 from that. So then you have to be on a uh, 1,900 calorie diet a day. That's how it works. So they weigh you at the beginning. They figure out what you're supposed to need. Then they say you have to take have 500 calories less. So in other words, you're consuming less energy than you need. Uh, which is a diet, right? Like it's a standard diet. On top of that, you have to do 150 minutes of exercise a week, which is um, pretty standard for a diet. Uh, I wouldn't say it's excessive. I wouldn't say it's menial. I would say it's somewhere in between. They weren't particularly specific about the exercise. So I think you could like walk, like anything counted as long as you were physically active for 150 minutes at least a week. And then you had monthly counseling, I think it was telephone counseling for the most part, with either a dietitian or an expert of some kind who was basically coaching you um, throughout the process. So you had to commit to that for a year. And then in addition to that, you either you had an injection once a week and it was either semaglutide 2.4 milligrams or Wegovy, uh, uh, or it was um, you know, placebo. 2,000 people followed them up for a year. In fact, it was more than a year because for the first 16 weeks, you have to kind of escalate the dose you start very low dose and slowly build your way up um and this is unprecedented because the maximum dose of semaglutide prior to this trial was one milligram and now they're trying to up it to 2.4 milligrams in a relatively short space of time 16 weeks is not that long it's just four months so they go from zero to 2.4 milligrams in 16 weeks and then they were followed up for a year after that that's a step one trial 18th of march 2021 uh, and they found that I think, I don't remember the numbers exactly, but it was something like uh, the semaglutide group lost about 15% of their body weight, 14 point something. Uh, and the placebo group, just the diet and exercise and, and counselling, lost about 2.5% uh, of their weight. And, it, and this is fascinating for two reasons. First of all, just goes to show that diets don't work. 2.5% of your weight after doing all of that for an entire year, well, more than a year, uh, 2.5% of your weight just shows that diets don't work. So that's a, that's a nice little study to show that diets don't work. Um, and then those that went on the semaglutide, they did lose a lot of weight. There's, there's no question about that in the first year, in the first year. And that's all they found. And based on that study, the FDA uh, decided to approve Wegovy as a weight loss drug. Now, <clears throat> I have some concerns about this. Number one. It had only been used for a year, a drug that we have never used at this dose before, never been used on non-diabetics before either, was being given the, the green light in spite of the fact that we only had data for a year. We have no idea about the long-term effects, the risks, um, you know, whether or not this could, could potentially have a very negative um, impact on long-term health. No idea. What does that matter? <laughs> right. It's weight loss. Weight loss is perfect. Surely um, everyone wants to lose weight. So, yeah, that was that was 
all they based on they only basically had information for white women in their sort of 40s because that was the vast majority of people in the group again that's problematic because white women in their 40s are actually the group most likely to want to change their weight if you look at all people and so I guess these were very committed to weight loss and I mean they must have been very committed because they signed up to the trial for the in the first place right not knowing what they were getting willing to be guinea pigs you know in the pursuit of weight loss so I guess the trial population represented a kind of slightly biased population and therefore it's you know difficult to know how this is going to impact for example men um, who were basically not involved in this trial at all and certainly black and other racialized people completely excluded from this study um why because they just didn't have that many volunteers unsurprisingly black people didn't want to volunteer to having themselves injected with a medication that they knew nothing about gosh i wonder why that is that's me by being sarcastic by the way in case anyone didn't get that um so a whole bunch of people we don't know anything about we didn't have much information about whether or not the medication did anything other than make people lose weight because they didn't look at anything else they just looked at weight loss they measured other things but then they didn't analyze them and I imagine that's because they knew that if they did analyze them they would find there was no difference and nobody wants a study that shows no difference so they just analyzed weight loss and yes it was successful in weight loss for the first year bearing in mind all of that the FDA approved it anyway said yeah sure use that as weight loss don't care about the long-term effects, who cares? Let's see what happens. And so it did get approved and it got approved in various other countries around the world. And there were some countries that refused to approve it. And um, I know Canada's still sitting on the fence. I believe Australia is still sitting on the fence. The UK wasn't sure. And I say UK, it's actually England, England and Wales. I don't believe Scotland has approved it. Woohoo, I live in Scotland, so there you go. Um, <clears throat> but England and Wales sort of sat on the fence for a while, but they have since approved it. Since the 18th of June 2021, there have been uh, seven more, eight more studies published. Eight, yes. So there's steps, the step trials, there are eight step trials. Seven hasn't been published yet, but all the rest, steps one through six, and then step eight have been published. Then there's the step teen trial, which, as you can guess, teen stands for adolescents aged between 12 and 17. Um, so you've got several trials and then you've got um a follow-up of the step one trial as well but these weren't actually included for the most part in the decision making process as to whether or not to approve these drugs actually step one was the only one that existed when the fda approved the drug mm. so that brings me on to the ethics of it which is the bit i'm most interested in to talk about today what what other drug are you aware of that FDA would just approve without any consideration to long-term impacts, to the negative consequences, which just weren't even looked at. I mean, they, they looked at side effects, but that's it. Um, what, what other drug do you know of that the FDA just allows to approve? Actually, probably quite a few, because that's the problem, isn't it? Is that the FDA is a toothless little organization that basically can be bought with any amount of money and it has been for a very long time you just have to look at the history of oxycontin and purdue and what happened back in the early 2000s to know that the fda can be easily manipulated and bought a lot of people who sit on these panels and you know make these decisions 
often end up working for the very companies that they approved. So I believe with the OxyContin um, shit show, I don't know what else to call it, uh, one of the people who was on the FDA ended up working for Purdue Pharma. Um, so the one one of the people who was involved in proving the whole process, uh, you know, ended up working for OxyContin. So that's um, OxyContin for Purdue, I mean. So that's reassuring. And, you know, it seems to me like nobody is really interested in people, health, lives, any of that stuff, just in profits and money and, you know, selling drugs, which, again, doesn't surprise me. This is the world that we live in. In the UK, things are slightly different because in the UK, you have to prove, basically, that the drug that you're approving uh, makes financial sense because we're a nationalized health service and we have limited funds and limited resources. And therefore, if we're going to put money into a certain treatment or medication or, or whatever, um, we have to know that it's financially worth it. And so when uh, Novo Nordisk was applying for their drug to be approved by the, the NICE, National Institute for Clinical Excellence, uh, they had to take on a slightly different tactic. They had to persuade Nice England that actually this drug was worth investing in because, you know, people were going to um, have healthier, happier lives as a result of it. It was going to benefit the economy as a result. So, you know, it was going to benefit sort of the sort of health economy, I should say. So, you know, you're not just spending money on a drug that's useless. No, you're spending money on a drug that is actually going to improve health in the long term. But that was their job. That was what Novo Nordisk had to had to convince Nice of, and and that's what Nice was there to do was to make sure that was the case. So I had a little look at the process and was slightly disturbed in the first instance to see that there were very few people involved in this process. I expected more. First of all, there's a panel. There's a panel of uh, doctors and other clinicians. Uh, many of whom have nothing to do with um, the particular field of medicine. So they're nothing to do with diabetes or endocrinology or anything like that. It could be a psychiatrist, it could be a paediatrician, it could be anything. Just a group of people assigned um, by the National Institute of Clinical Excellence. So there's the, the guidelines group, guidelines committee. Um, and then there are some representatives sort of who are more sort of interested in the statistics and the analysis of it. So not necessarily clinicians, but also vital members of the team. Then there are the expert witnesses, as it were, people who came and gave testimony, uh, and they didn't, they didn't all do it electronically and online, but, you know, gave testimony as to why they believe this medication should be used. Of course, there is the drug company itself. Um, and then there are other interested parties. I think, uh, am I right? I think GSK was involved in it. And one of the other drug companies was involved in it. I don't even know why, but um, other interested parties as well can declare their interest. So who were the expert witnesses? Well, there was a patient representative um, who was uh, nominated by the only advocacy group that was involved in the process from what i can see which is a, an organization called obesity uk now this is a so-called charity uh, it is a charity it has charitable status i'm not quite sure what charitable work they do apparently they're trying to help obese people live with obesity that's what they say something along those lines um it's actually the amalgamation of two charities one was an organization 
um, set up by a woman whose child was fat and wanted to help their child. Um, so she set up this organisation. And another was an organisation by somebody who uh, went through bariatric surgery and wanted to support people going through bariatric surgery. So this was the kind of charity they, they joined together. They formed this little charity. Um, and the woman who started the charity, her husband's on the on the board of trustees as well. And there's another guy who works for um, uh, sort of a weight loss organisation. So people very much invested in weight loss. A mother who wanted to make her child thin, a husband who went along with it, um, a guy who, you know, made himself thin through bariatric surgery, and um, a couple of other people, one of whom definitely is associated with a weight loss organisation, like a private entity, that, that weight loss management service, that's the word I'm looking for. So this is the charity we're talking about. And we know that this charity is getting funded by Novo Nordisk. How much money? We don't know, because it's interesting. This charity has not actually produced their annual report um for over a year or no not just not quite a year but they're almost a year late uh, and they haven't produced their report which is interesting i don't know why we can't see their financial reports from the year before nice approved them but maybe there's a good reason maybe it's nothing to do with them covering them covering their asses as it were maybe just haven't got around to it you know it's perfectly normal for a charity not to report their um their annual reports uh, for almost a year and to get away with it. Like this happens all the time, I'm sure, um, right? I'm not an expert, but I'm sure there's perfectly good reason for it. Anyway, this particular particular organisation that is funded by Novo Nordisk, but we don't know how much money Novo Nordisk is giving them. Um, they produced several experts. The first was, oh, I'm not naming names because I don't know how helpful that is. First, you can look it up. It's all out there in the public domain. The first was a woman who uh, was fat and clearly hated the fact that she was fat. Uh, she said very negative things about being fat. Like Basically, she felt disabled by being fat. She was miserable. She wanted to lose weight. Um, she's talked a lot about uh, weight stigma and how much weight stigma impacted her life, which you know, was a lot of stuff that we can all relate to, but then went on to sort of talk about it in terms of it needs to be fixed, it needs to be cured. Um, and she implied that she'd do anything. She was willing to do anything to make herself thin, anything. She said an injection once a week was the problem. And she was pushing for it to be available long term for the rest of her life. She just wanted to be on this drug forever. Um, interestingly, she believes that because she's able bodied, she's more entitled to the drug than other people. We'll put that to one side. She did make that public, public knowledge, though. So um, she kind of gets what no she deserves whatever she gets for that comment there was another chap that um the guy said he was really interested in bariatric surgery he he also gave testimony um again talking about how wonderful the drug was and you know how there had to be an alternative to bariatric surgery because bariatric surgery doesn't always work yeah no kidding uh, as if this drug is somehow better um anyway he went on and on about how great it was as well not surprising both nominated by obesity uk and both uh, unsurprisingly championing this amazing drug. Then there was Professor John Wilding, um, who is director of blah, blah, obesity and diabetes and endocrinology, blah, blah, at the Liverpool University Hospital, blah, blah, in the UK. He, he's basically the lead author of the step one trial. Um, he has paid a ton of money by Novo Nordisk, a ton, a ton. It's embarrassing how much money he makes. Um, he is basically their lackey and always has been. 
and he was the expert witness. Hmm. But is that fair to have the lead author of the trial be the only clinical kind of voice that is added into the conversation? That the only clinician that you see is a chap who basically led the study and is very much in Novo Nordis pocket. There was a couple of other people um, involved as well. Again, all funded by Novo. In fact, there was nobody involved in the whole thing apart from one chap who worked for NHS England has since moved on, don't know where he's gone. Be interesting to find out. Um, And that's it. That was the whole process. And the entire time statements were made that were complete nonsense, like this will benefit people's health. Says who? I I mean, how on earth could you possibly say that? You didn't look at it. You didn't study it. Nobody's ever looked into whether or not semaglutide 2.4 2.4 milligrams impacts people's health. It wasn't part of the study. They looked at weight loss. That's all they looked at. So the assumption is that weight loss will improve health. But again, so to, where is the information to, to back that up? The evidence? There isn't any. There just isn't any. And we know this. If we're talking about population health or individual health, there really isn't any decent evidence that weight loss, especially dramatic weight loss, like, you know, 15% of your body weight, there's no evidence that that is going to somehow cure any of your ailments, is going to prevent any diseases from happening, is going to somehow reduce the number of drugs that people are on or improve their blood pressure or their cholesterol or any of that stuff, reduce the number of heart attacks, none of that. Like, we, we don't have evidence to support that. Nonsense. So this, these, these wildly inaccurate statements and claims that they keep making about how it's going to improve the health of the nation, not backed up by any science, by any evidence. And it's curious to me, therefore, that the NICE committee just accepted that. The committee that is the sole responsibility is to look at the evidence. Just went, yeah, sure, of course, you know, weight loss improves health. Didn't bother to check into that statement, even though there is a lot of evidence now that that's not the case. In fact, there have been studies along for a long time now that show that people who lose 15% of their body weight quite dramatically within, say, a year, and then regain it, or even if they don't regain it, but if, but more often than not, they do regain it, actually have poorer health co- outcomes. Like there's studies to show this in, in so many different conditions and different variables. For example, with diabetes, people who lose dramatic amounts of weight in diabetes, they don't fare better, they fare, they fare worse. Now, we don't know whether intentional weight loss has the same impact as unintentional weight loss because we've never studied it, so unsurprisingly. But we do know that weight loss causes poorer health outcomes. And until we know whether or not it's different if it's intentional, we can't be we can't be urging people to make dramatic weight loss. Uh, I was going to say weight loss gains, but to to lose dramatic amounts of weight. Like we can't do that because what if it potentially makes their health poorer? What if it increases their risk of a heart attack or a stroke or, or, or increases their risk of death? Which, by the way, all of these studies have shown that, demonstrated that in diabetics, weight loss worsens your health outcomes, increases your risk of a heart attack, increases your risk of a stroke, increases your, uh, you know, your rate of mortality. So if we know that weight loss potentially could cause this problem, why are we urging people to lose dramatic amounts of weight? Lots of studies have shown that people who remain stable, irrespective of what their weight is, do much better than people who kind of oscillate, especially people who lose dramatic amounts of weight. There are studies to show that people that lose more than 10% of their body weight at any point in time and regain it, because that's a bit that I'll be coming to in a minute, they will regain it. Once they regain it, 
and their weight cycling. Um, again, that's been shown to have poorer health outcomes and, and, and small bits of weight cycling haven't because I think the body is, 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 is prepared to lose a bit of weight. Our bodies naturally over the last you know few thousand years, uh, 10,000 years, 50,000 years, whatever, over time, our bodies would have adapted to losing some weight during times of, you know, food scarcity and then gaining weight during times when, you know, food was abundant. That's what our bodies were meant to do, but not dramatically. Uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Look at all animals in, in, in the world. It's the same for them, but it's not dramatic weight loss. It's just slowly they thin down and then they get to the point where they're like, oh, I better eat something quick. And usually the seasons change and food becomes abundant and woohoo, they start eating again and everything works out. So we can handle the little bits, the little dips, and 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 peaks but anything more than 10 percent seems i mean 10 percent seems to be the cutoff it's an arbitrary number but you know dramatic amounts of weight loss actually have been shown to be harmful the body can't handle that kind of stress and it is stress it, it creates a stress response and that we do know so the body isn't set out for that but the nice committee didn't seem to care about that in fact Weight loss was good. That's what they assumed. Yep, yep, it's great. It's good for people. And it's going to somehow benefit the National Health Service as well, because that's what they're also looking at. It's going to somehow reduce the amount of money that we spend. I'm I'm not sure how. Uh, you know, there was a big um, calculation that Novo Nordisk disc and Novo Nordisk created. And sure, I'm, uh, you know, it exists. There is a calculation and I'm sure it's very persuasive, but it's, it's also bullshit because they have no evidence to support that it will improve health com outcomes beyond a year because they didn't even assess in any way. In fact, they made a lot of assumptions. For example, one of the assumptions they made was if you have a heart attack, you will automatically become diabetic, which is just crap. Uh, that's not true. That doesn't happen. That's one of the assumptions they made in this calculation. And I know that because NICE picked up on it. Oh, I'm getting bogged down. Where where was I going next? Let me think. Right. So another thing that that NICE has done that's slightly different from the FDA is NICE has said you can only take it for two years. And that's because there are no studies that go beyond two years. And they're correct. The longest study involving semaglutide 2.4 milligrams is the step five study, I believe it's step five, which looked at uh, uh, 102 weeks, which wasn't quite two years uh, because there was a 16 week kind of dose escalation period. And then they were followed up for, I don't know, a year and eight months or something like that. So not quite two years uh, where they looked at whether or not, again, you lost weight. That's all they're interested in. They didn't look at health. They just looked at weight loss. And what was really interesting about this study, which is what we've been saying the whole time, is that it doesn't matter whether you're on this drug or not. Even when you remain on the drug, you will begin to start gaining weight. So anywhere between 10 and a half months to one year is when you reach your maximum weight loss peak and then you start regaining at around 10 months to, to a year after dose escalation. It just happens every single study. It happened in the step one study. It happened in the step three, step four, step five. Every study, you hit your peak, what we call the nadir or the nadir, I don't know how you say it, at about 10 and a half months to a year after dose escalation and dose titration. Um, so you're going to start gaining weight. And actually, uh, there's no question that that's going to happen. And so NICE said, look, after two years, you're going to start gaining weight anyway. And there's no evidence beyond that. So you've got to stop it. And now we know, we know that once you stop this drug, you will regain all the weight back really, really quickly. In fact, at a rate which we've never seen before, it's fairly unprecedented. In no other weight loss drug have we stopped it and seen such a rapid weight gain. So this drug works for the period of time that you're on it. 
until you hit a year, then you're going to start to slowly gain the weight back. Well, we don't know, maybe after two, three, four years, you will have gained most of it back. We don't know because we haven't studied it yet. Didn't even study it up to five years, which we know is around the time that most people regain the weight that they'd lost. But yeah, you know, there we go. Who cares? Whatever. Uh, Two years, you stop it and you'll gain all the weight back. And Novo Nordisk admitted that therefore, within five years, two years of taking it, three years off it, you would have, you know, reached the same um, weight as the rest of the population. Uh, The rest of the population who was um, using diet and exercise alone, which, as we know from the step studies, is, you know, basically going back to your original weight because they didn't lose any weight. Do you hear what I'm saying here? What I'm saying is that if you're on this drug for two years and about one year you're going to start regaining the weight, then you stop it after two years and you will have regained all of that weight back within the five years. So you will have weight cycled. In fact, you're guaranteed to have weight cycled. In fact, not only will you have weight cycled, but if you are that person that loses 15% or 14% of your body weight, you lose 15% and then you regain 15% within five years. And those are the people that are most likely to run in trouble into trouble down the line, according to the evidence that we have, which isn't much, by the way. So they're not just doing nothing. They're potentially causing harm. Again, did this come, you know, have any impact on the nice decision? No, didn't even mention it. Didn't even think about it. And I I don't get why. Well, I do get why, but uh, they should have. There were a lot of other flaws, but the ethics is this. And to conclude, to sum up, because I know I've been waffling a lot. Number one, the people on the committee, not on the committee itself, but the people who were involved in this whole guidelines process were all paid for by Novo Nordisk. Number two, they did not have enough data to make a decision, but they made a decision anyway. Number three, they did not care about the harms that they could potentially be causing with this medication. Number four, even though even though they admitted that within five years, people would have regained the weight and that there was no evidence to show that this would improve health outcomes, they approved it anyway. So they're willing to spend all this money on a drug, money which, by the way, they refuse to disclose the amount. (laughs) So we don't even know how much money it is, but that much money on a drug, knowing that everyone will have gained the weight back. They believe that somehow this is going to improve health outcomes based on what I don't understand. So how do these things happen? But how do we get away with these things? How do we get away with a drug company funding a study? And not just funding a study, which is normal, but also paying for someone to write the study. So you've got all these authors that kind of come along and they prepare like their study or their paper. And then someone comes along and basically edits it and makes it look good, makes it look fancy. And then someone else, pay, again, paid by Novo Nordisk, comes and takes all the statistics, the data, and they produce it into these beautiful graphs, beautiful graphs. But, you know, the graphs are meant to look a certain way. You can always find a way of presenting data that makes it look favorable. So they make it look good, real fancy. They they get it published in, you know, the big name journals, New England Journal of Medicine, the British Medical Journal, you know, all the big fancy names. They make them free. <laughs> They're not behind a paywall because, you know, if you've got enough money, you can make them free and available for anyone to read. Then they make the little executive summaries, you know, the, the pretty sort of one side page that 
most doctors are going to read, if that. Or they look at the abstract and they read the conclusion. The conclusion, of course, says it works. Woohoo! Um, so, you know, most people buy that. And those for those who, who were a little bit sceptical, don't worry. There's a course you can go on. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a course that you can go on. Obesity management, it's called. That sounds pretty good. It's free. Free? A free course? Goodness me. Normally I have to pay for courses. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go on a free course. No worries. And uh, I go to a lecture or whatever, to one day event. <laughs> maybe there's a fancy lunch. Uh, maybe it's online because nowadays these are online. I don't know how it works because I never went to one. But assume it's, you know, fairly lavish because drug companies can. It's all funded by Novo Nordis, but you, you don't you don't know this. Um, all the evidence they're giving you about, quote unquote, obesity management, it's, it's all funded by Novo Nordis. But you don't know this at the time. So you are being brainwashed, I guess into um prescribing a drug that may or may not be harmful and you think okay no problems I'll, I'll prescribe this drug so one in in the in the uk certainly there are a lot of pharmacists get involved in prescribing drugs i don't know how many of you know this but a lot of pharmacists now do a lot of prescriptions and uh there was this big push i don't know if you remember in the news um you know pharmacists were going to prescribe we gave it, and you'd be able to get we gave it directly from your pharmacist, and that's because Novo Nordisk, unbeknownst to anybody, were paying for all these pharmacists to be trained up so they were ready to prescribe. Um, but as I said, training was funded by Novo, and it wasn't disclosed. So a little while ago, not that long ago, we were talking within the last month, a scandal. Well, I say scandal. It was I don't think it was scandalous. Um, it was no viral tweet, but. A kind of scandal broke and was reported in in newspapers about how Novo Nordisk had been funding all of this training and had not been disclosing it. And that, that's the only issue. They hadn't been disclosing it. It's not that they were funding the training. It's just that they didn't disclose that they were funding the training. And that's against the law in the UK. And so uh, instead of saying, oh, my bad, we shouldn't have done that, they were like, hmm, no, we didn't. <laughs> then they were like, oh, yeah, no, we did uh, because we prove it. And um so the ABPI, and I forget what that stands for, but it's basically the group that oversees all the pharmacists in the UK, got very angry and said, you can't do this. This is against the rules. And um, the, the the chair of this organisation <laughs> worked for Nova Nordisk. And the moment he stepped down, and I think he stepped down because he had no choice. And the moment he stepped down, um, this organisation banned sort of like in the same way that the Olympics banned Russia for a spell because of doping for the same in the same way they banned Novo Nordisk for their bad practices um and if you're interested to find out exactly how this went down because I know she does a better job of it than me then check out Reagan Chastain's uh news uh Substack newsletter uh weight and healthcare it's brilliant and there's I don't know I think there's a two or three part bit series on on the ethics behind this latest um we go v scandal but suffice it to say they're dodgy as fuck and uh they got caught on this one occasion um there's a amazing duo of journalists uh shanti das and john oh gosh i'm gonna pronounce his surname wrong i won't try it um ungood thomas i said it wrong anyway shanti and john they work for the observer which passed the guardian and they've done i think now three articles about the ethics of novo nordisk um they talk about how much money Novo Nordisk spends on doctors and healthcare practitioners and researchers and research. 
and uh, charities, quote unquote charities, whose sole purpose is to, I guess, act as a bridge, an ethical, quote unquote, ethical bridge between drug companies and uh, healthcare organisations or um, you know, organisations that oversee the medical profession, because it would not look good if, um, you know, say an organisation like the uh, Royal College of General Practitioners in the UK was like constantly doing deals with or working alongside a drug company. That wouldn't look good, A, because that's favouritism towards one drug company and B, because, you know, there's supposed to be some kind of distance between these kind of organisations and drug companies. But the charities that are basically bought and paid for by drug companies sort of act as that kind of intermediary. Like we're a charitable organization, therefore respectable and should be trusted, even though we haven't bothered to, you know, report our finances, which are, you know, is a legal obligation, but we didn't bother and we just got away with it. And I don't know how we did that, but we just did. Anyway, in spite of the fact that they are perhaps not so ethical, they're supposed to be ethical. And so they're that intermediary between, say, the Royal College of General Practitioners or the NICE Guidelines Committee or, um, I don't know, you name it, and the drug pharmaceutical industry, the big pharma, as it were. How how does this happen? Um, how have we gotten to the stage where our health is bought and paid for by drug companies? And that is exactly what is happening here, folks. Our health is bought and paid for by drug companies. This drug, Wegovi, has so many potential negative long-term risks, consequences that we simply know nothing about. And we're going to get there 10, 15, 20 years from now and go, oh, <gasps> Oh, we never saw this coming. But we did. We did see it coming. There were people shouting about it before it was even approved by the FDA. There are people that continue to shout about it. And I am going to be one of them. This drug is dangerous. And it's no good 10 years from now being able to say, I told you so. I don't want to be able to say, I told you so. I don't want to get to that stage. I want us to stop using this drug. If nobody uses it, then... People, you know, the drug company will see a fall in profits and they will look elsewhere to make money. Right now, that seems like an impossibility. But hey, got to keep trying, right? I think I've said everything I want to say today. I think this might be a short one. Hey, ho. Next week, hopefully, uh, I will be talking a little bit more about something completely different. Um, But in the meantime, I have good news. I am running a masterclass in weight loss drugs, especially Wigobi. Uh, we'll focus predominantly on Wigobi, but on weight loss drugs. Uh, on Friday, April the 21st, that's right, I will repeat that, Friday, April 21st at 7.30pm UK time. Uh, it is uh, going to be held over Zoom. You can join the masterclass either through my website or there will be links all over my social media in the next couple of days. And if you're interested, then you know pre-order if you can. If not, buy your ticket on the day. Um, it's first come, first served. So if you miss out, you miss out. I'm sorry. Um, if you can't make it live because you live in another part of the world and you're busy doing stuff at 7.30 p.m. UK time, no worries. You will be able to uh, watch it at a later date. But if you don't register and you haven't got a ticket beforehand, you won't be able to watch it at a later date. It's literally only for people who sign up to the Masterclass and are either at, you know, at the Masterclass live or um watch it later for the replay there will be a large section for questions and answers so yeah i'll be doing a little bit talking 
giving you a little bit of information, but predominantly we'll be talking questions and answers and giving you the opportunity to ask whatever you want. So if you're someone who is taking Wigobi or has taken Wigobi or is thinking about taking Wigobi or is planning to take Wigobi or um, doesn't want to take Wigobi but is being pressured into taking Wigobi, whoever you are, if you've heard the word Wigobi and you want to know more, then don't forget to register for my masterclass. As I said, We'll be going live on the 21st of April, but you will be able to, you will be able to pre-order tickets. You heard it here first, folks. I look forward to seeing you next week. As for me, check out my website, www.fatdoctor.co.uk for more information about what I'm up to and what I have on offer. Folks, creating and maintaining a podcast requires long hours and lots of cash to burn. I love this podcast. I love pouring my heart and soul into everything that I do, but it isn't always easy. So if you'd like to support me and the work that I'm doing, I have a Patreon page. All the details are available on my website and in the show notes. Thank you for listening and I look forward to catching up with you next week.